Episode 4 The Long Shadow There's a question that comes up again and again if you cover boxing. Why do you bother? It's not just others that pose it either. It's often a rhetorical question. Consider how often the Bob Arum line is quoted. Yesterday I was lying. Today I'm telling the truth. That's boxing. It's hard to think of any other sport where so many figures in positions of power lie habitually. From the rise of Daniel Kinahan to a position of great influence, to doping scandals, to the embrace of sports washing, the last few years have been especially toxic for boxing. When Donald McRae wrote his first book on boxing in the 1990s, he chose a two-word title, Dark Trade. Since then, the trade has got a whole lot darker. There have been times when McRae has questioned himself, why do you bother? But he's thought it through and he sees reasons to stick with boxing. And one of those is Katie Taylor. So, I mean, I had a bit of a sea change in my feelings over the last week or two, I would say. Um, you know, I've been, I have been working on an article about Connor Ben and Eddie Hearn. In that time, I actually decided, no, I'm not walking away. Um, yes, boxing has depressed me more than ever before over the last years, you know, with, with the Kinahan saga, the inability of big fights to happen, the insidious hold that doping seems to have on professional boxing. These are all things that I just cannot abide or accept. And I had got to the point where I was actually thinking, it's just enough now. I, I don't think I can keep going. You know, I'm an old guy now. I've been watching, following boxing since I was a little boy. So for more than 50 years, I've been an avid supporter of boxing. And over the last couple of years, that support has begun to dwindle and diminish. And I thought I can't actually justify following this, this business too much longer. But actually, as I said, over the last few weeks, I'm beginning to think, no, I still, and someone like Katie Taylor, she has that ability to lift me and make me look at the, the good that boxing can do. And yes, it's, sometimes the good seems minuscule when you compare it to the bad that there is in boxing. But no, I, I feel more, I might change again in another month, but I actually feel I want to not only sort of talk about the bad things in boxing, but I also will continue to talk to fighters who I believe in and who I think exemplify the best things that there are about boxing. Boxing is the worst of all businesses, but it can be on seldom occasions, but it can be the best of all sports too. So I'm going to cling on <laughs> a little longer and um, we'll see. You know, I'm, I'm going to come to Dublin and I'll, I'll be fascinated to see how that week unfolds and, and how the fight itself is on that night. But yeah, I would still like to hope that enough of us, including you, and I understand, Kieran, totally what you're saying, but hopefully enough of us will still band together and, and hopefully point out the the bad things in boxing, but also not forget the magnificent, majestic things that you can sometimes witness in boxing. 
There have been attempts to talk up Taylor v Cameron as signalling a rebirth for professional boxing in Dublin. Between now and May 20th, you'll hear the same line thrown out countless times. Claims that this card marks the return of pro boxing to Dublin for the first time since the Regency Hotel shooting in February 2016. In truth, there have been more than a dozen shows in the capital since then, but they've all been small hall ones. Because of a myriad of reasons, from BUI fees to insurance costs to the security risk, there's been no big-time boxing in Dublin for nearly a decade. The last such show saw Matthew Macklin lose to Jorge Highland in the Three Arena on November 15th, 2014. But tickets for that card were hard to sell, and the 9,000-seater venue switched to a reduced capacity of 5,000 for the night. On March 19th, 2011, Willie Casey lost to Guillermo Rigondo in the City West in a World Super Bantamweight interim title bout. But that didn't draw a huge crowd either. The last full house for a big boxing bill in Dublin? We have to go back to one of the greatest days in modern Irish sporting history, March 21st, 2009. That afternoon, Ireland won the first Grand Slam in 51 years, thanks to Ronan O'Gara's drop goal for the ages. Hours later in the O2 Arena, Bernard Dunn beat Ricardo Cordoba to become WBA Super Bantamweight World Champion. Sitting close together at ringside were superstars of rugby, soccer and snooker, Shane Horgan, Paul McGrath and Ken Doherty. All of them could be seen roaring Dunn on to victory. That's over 14 years ago now. Ireland have won another two Grand Slams since. But boxing fell to its knees and it took a long time to drag it back to its feet. The vast majority of those in the three arena will be seeing Taylor fight in the flesh for the first time. Even if you go back to her amateur days, she rarely fought in this country. After winning Olympic gold in 2012, she had six fights in Ireland in 2013, four in 2014, three in 2015 and just two in 2016. Those bouts took place in venues like the Mallow GAA Complex, Tralee's Brandon Hotel, Ballywaltram Community Centre and the Loretto Sports Complex in Fermoy, a world away from a packed three arena. It's not Croke Park, it will still be momentous. Here's Andy Lee. She had, like She's fought here before, after the Olympics she fought here. But since then, like, Katie has become, she's become bigger than, the, she's become bigger than the sport itself. And it wouldn't be people going to see a boxing match. It would be people going to see Katie Taylor, this champion for years, who's carried the flag, fought the good fight all over the world, finally gets to return home in what will be one of, like, a, a very competitive fight again. You know, it's not like she's coming home and taking a cherry picking an opponent to look good against. So people, like, she'll need the crowd there. She'll need that. I think she'll need that, that element of support. But it's long overdue, and I don't think anyone deserves a more than Katie. The reasons why boxing has been left reeling in Dublin have been well documented. Winning back trust is as important as winning back sponsors and fans, and the support of broadcasters. There's a feel-good element to Katie Taylor's return, 
But Barry McGuigan doesn't really buy into the talk of it sparking a rebirth of professional boxing in Dublin. To be honest, you know, I, 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 Ireland and you know the south of Ireland professional boxing has never been, it's never been cohesive. It's never been a, a, a big sport, and and I. I fought in Navan in the early stages in my career. I had my professional debut in Daly Mount Park and I had a, a, a world title fight against my second, third, sorry, second defence against Daniel Cabrera in the RDS, as I, as I mentioned. Uh, and, and Katie has been such a huge star. You know, and I know that, you know, different promoters have, 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 have tried over the years, but I, I just don't know what it is. It doesn't seem to have... It's not easy. I think it's very expensive to promote in the south of Ireland. The BUI have never really sort of had regular shows. And, and and I don't know why, because boxing, amateur boxing particularly in the south of Ireland, has always been incredibly successful. And the, the amateurs have been incredibly uh, successful on the international scene in, in, you know, as far as medals are concerned, there's not another sport that that comes anywhere close to boxing. but. For some reason, the pro game doesn't seem to be able to take off. It just doesn't. And um, to, to, you know, for for it to work properly, they have to have a national television deal. They ha- it has to be affordable, and you have to then you know the whole the system is very simple. You you get a kid who's very popular, and you get his fan base, and you build on that, and you do it on a repetitive base, and you put on big shows. And you put on European title fights and and uh, you know Irish title fights and world title fights and against top of the some of the top fighters in the world. That is it. That's, that's a system that has to keep going and going and going. And I don't know why it's never been successful. It's probably because the amateurs are, are so great. That's probably why. And they'd rather go to the national stadium and watch them uh, take take place, you know, the top kids in the country box over three-minute rounds and the shorter bouts and the more entertaining, I suppose. Um, but I, I, I love to see professional boxing work. I just don't think it's, it, it, it's, it's ever going to be able to compete because, you know, the, the, the money aspect, the putting on the show, making it a profit, because you can't, you can't keep putting stuff on and losing money. It's not, it's not, it doesn't work that way. It's just common sense. Um, but I'd love to see boxing work and uh, professional boxing work. And there's some great kids. Yeah, some great talent, really, really yeah. talented kids. And it'd be great, to, you know, it's hard for them to get up and up sticks and live, uh, you know, go and live in, in England. There's a lot of them that do it, but very few of them that actually are able to bring it back home again and put on shows again. So Katie's probably the only one that could do that. Um, but, you know, she's coming to the end of, the, of her career, as we, as we said. So, um, yeah, I think that that's always going to be an unlikely scenario, Kieran. With Katie Taylor's homecoming fight on May 20th already a sellout, the connections of her opponent, Chantelle Cameron, have fallen under the spotlight. Cameron's last bout saw her beat Jessica McCaskill in Abu Dhabi on November 5th, 2022. After the verdict, Cameron posed for a photograph with her team inside the ring. At the far left of the picture, which she posted publicly on Instagram, is a Dubliner, Anthony Fitzpatrick. It's not that long since he had a key managerial role in MTK Global, a company that was once owned by Daniel Kinahan. 
Since MTK folded, Fitzpatrick has stayed in the sport. Over the past few months, he's been seen at ringside on big boxing nights in the UK. Last November, the High Court in Dublin approved a bid to sell a mansion in Sagart that was owned by Kinahan and had been seized by the Criminal Assets Bureau. It was revealed that Fitzpatrick had lived rent-free in the mansion for a number of years. There's no suggestion that Fitzpatrick or Cameron have ever had any involvement with criminality. But it's another reminder that it's difficult to cover Taylor's long-awaited homecoming fight without looking at the past. I've been in touch with key figures in UK boxing over the past two months. All have claimed that Kinahan is still a key decision-maker in the sport. That is startling when you consider that it was a year last month since US sanctions were imposed in Kinahan and other members of his cartel. He was described as controlling a group that were behind murders, drug dealing and money laundering. It's expected that the security precautions put in place for the May 20th bill will be at a level never seen before in Irish sport. There was an indication of how seriously security has been taken at Taylor's homecoming press conference in March. Compared to normal pressers, there were quite a few hoops to leap through. First, you had to apply online to Taylor's promoter's matchroom for accreditation. Then an email was sent out two days later, confirming whether you'd been accepted or not. If you got the nod, only then were you given details of the location of the press conference. On arrival at the location, Dublin's mansion house, journalists were told to wait outside. Several security personnel hired for the day were on duty. When the doors opened, the bags of the media were searched by them before they could proceed. The shadow of the Regency Hotel murder and the chaos that enveloped Irish boxing is a long one. It's fair to speculate that the security of the Three Arena will be unprecedented for a sporting event here. As part of my work with the Irish Daily Star, I contacted Cameron's camp to ask if she was aware of Fitzpatrick's links to Kinahan, and, if so, whether that was a concern. There was no response. Cameron is trained by Jamie Moore, who was shot outside Daniel Kinahan's villa in Spain in August 2014. It was stated in the Special Criminal Court in January that Moore's shooting, in a case of mistaken identity, was a seminal moment in the Hodge-Kinahan feud. There has never been any suggestion that Moore has any involvement with criminality. In February 2018, Moore posted his support on Twitter for a boycott of the Irish media by MTK Global because of what was written here about Kinahan's links to the company. In an interview with The Guardian, Moore described Daniel Kinahan as a good bloke. In a social media post, he wrote about Kinahan doing good work for boxers and creating opportunities for them. He described newspaper stories about the Dubliner as bullshit and said that journalists should be ashamed of themselves because of what they wrote about Kinahan. At the Mansion House press conference, I asked Moore about this public support for Kinahan. Jimmy, there hasn't been a really big fight night in Dublin in a long time. One of the main reasons for that is the police wouldn't allow it because of security concerns over Daniel Kinnan's involvement in the sport. And in the past, you were publicly supportive of Daniel Kinnan. You described him as a great bloke in the Guardian, in the Guardian interview. You had social media 
post in support of him. Now he's one of the most wanted pe people in the world with a bounty of five million on his head. Do you regret now that you were supportive of him? Uh, like, I'm have you changed not, your I'm mind not, on I'm not here to talk about that. We need to talk about the fight. Yeah, but the, 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 I think this is an issue here because it is Dublin. Like, it's two miles from where a lot of people were killed mm. and a few by the Kinnan cartel. Do you not think you should have something to say about here? I'm here to talk about the Given what has happened since, just talking about the fight is getting harder and harder. Donald McRae will be a Taylor Cameron for The Guardian, and he feels the long shadow of the Regency cannot be ignored. How could it, when it's taken place in a location in the north inner city, where most of the 18 killed in the Hutchkinahan feud were murdered? How could it, when the three arenas only a couple of miles away from the Regency Hotel? It's the ghosts of the past just cannot be shaken off here because, you know, it's being billed as the homecoming. And I understand that. And it's it's just an important moment for Katie Taylor, for boxing in Ireland, because after so many years of professional boxing not happening and Katie Taylor, who turned professional in 2016, never been able to box professionally at home. And this was finally an opportunity after that epic fight against Serrano to, to come home. Um, but yeah, it's just, it has become messy. Um, and I can't forget that Barry McGuigan was the only person in British boxing who actually stood up um, when the BBC did an investigation into Daniel Kinahan. And Barry McGuigan was the only person who stood up and actually spoke on camera about, about Kinahan and the, the hold he exerted on, on boxing. So there's this undertone now that has um, kind of infiltrated this, this fight. Um, and it is unfortunate, but it's also a fact that, you know, I, a lot of it's hearsay and gossip. I haven't got any hard, unequivocal evidence. But the name of Daniel Kinahan keeps coming up more and more in the, over the last few months. And I've been told that he's still involved in boxing and it's business as usual. Now, I don't know whether that's the case or not, but the fact that it's been voiced makes me feel a bit desolate that, you know, a year ago, before the Casey Taylor, Amanda Serrano fight, we had this feeling that maybe Kinahan's malign influence on boxing was finally over. Um, but I don't know whether that's the case or not, but certainly it's made me pause and think that sort of the situation is, is again, darker and murkier than, than we would like. The greatest boxing cathedral in the world is Madison Square Garden in New York. On a Saturday night at the end of April 2022, Two thirty-something women from Ireland to Puerto Rico made history there. If you watch nothing else from that fight, look at the clip of the last 30 seconds. Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano had nothing left to give at the end of 10 brutal rounds, but they reached beyond the limits of endurance. The punches kept coming. The arms kept swinging. Neither would give an inch. As so often in the pro game, one of the judges' scorecards after the final bell made no sense. Taylor up by four rounds. It ended up going to a split decision. But the two words so many wanted to hear. And still! If it had been judged a draw, few would have argued. 
and the performance of both boxers was remarkable. In the fifth round, Serrano took Taylor to a place where no fighter had ever taken her before, pounding her to the head and the body, doing damage with nearly every punch. The blood that poured down the Irish woman's face was the most visible evidence. It was a fight that won many doubters over to women's boxing. To pack out the garden was unthinkable not that long ago. But on that Saturday night a year ago, there was Katie Taylor, at the heart of the greatest city in the world, arms spread wide and letting out a primal scream in the euphoria of victory. Donald McRae was there for the fight and for the build-up, and he counts himself lucky. I think for me it was special because obviously I've followed boxing for, for many, many decades. And with boxing, the hype is normally quite, um, got a zing to it and it zips along and you get caught up. This is going to be the most amazing event ever. And this fight is going to just floor you with its splendor. And then the fight happens and this controversy or disappointment and often in boxing, it never fulfills the hype. Occasionally it does. Now, this was a fight that not only lived up to the hype, it surpassed it. And the hype was huge because on the, I think, the Tuesday of fight week, so this is a day after I've interviewed Katie, we go to the Empire State Building. They're lighting up the Empire State Building in the, in the colors of Ireland and Puerto Rico. And this doesn't happen for boxing now, you know, for, for anyone. But these two women had actually captured the city to the extent that the Empire State Building was lit at night in the colors of their countries. And the closer we came to, to fight night, the more the atmosphere became quite fevered and intense. And yet at the same time, these two women were so classy, so respectful, and just a joy to actually watch them deal with the hype. So I, I did think, wow, this is what a week this has been in New York. It's wonderful. But I thought, I can't see the fight. It just can't live up because this is boxing. Once we were in the garden and the, the bill began and the one fight followed another, it slowly began to build because not only were they in the garden, the garden was packed out with whatever it is, 19 and a half thousand people. And earlier, um, when this fight had first been muted, a lot of people had said, oh, it will be in the Hula Theatre, which is just adjoining the main garden. But it needed to be in the main garden and they sold it out quickly. The lights dimmed and, you know, we are now only a few minutes away from Taylor Serrano coming out. And, you know, I'm kind of cynical and hardened. Well, not hardened, but I'm, I've just been to so many fights that I don't get, certainly when, like in, in England, when they're singing Sweet Caroline and all that kind of stuff, that doesn't move me at all in, in any way. But this was moving in Madison Square Gardens because you could just feel the emotion and the intensity in a way that I, I don't think I've felt many times before in my life at a sporting event. And when Katie Taylor walked out, it was electrifying. What I was impressed about Katie is she looked like she was coming out for the last time to fight because she stoked it up, she savored it. You could tell she just was enjoying it and just didn't want to forget this moment. And Serrano was much the same. She also soaked up and absorbed the atmosphere. So that was special enough. But then the fight began. And of course, women's boxing is much more frenetic and intense than men's boxing because 
basically they're fighting for 20 minutes, 10 rounds, two minutes. So there's no let up, um, especially amongst these elite performers. And Katie is the kind of woman who's, a, I think, a, a better, more skillful boxer than Amanda Serrano. But one of the things about Katie Taylor is she loves a good old fattened bite and she can't help herself sometimes. It would be more sensible to box at a distance, but she gets caught up in the fight and it becomes a war. And I think this is what happened in the beginning. She, she boxed quite sensibly and I felt she was comfortable and so just ahead. But then in the middle, she got caught up in a, in a, in a battle and she got hurt badly. And I think it was the the fifth, I thought, gosh, looks like Katie Taylor's going to lose this fight. And then I think this, the next one, the sixth, I thought Katie Taylor's not only going to lose, she's going to be stopped. She looked all over the place and she was badly hurt. And yet the eighth, ninth, tenth rounds, she came back. And um, at the end, it looked like she was going to win the fight on a stoppage. You know, normally on fight night, I'm just, I'm watching, but I'm also, especially if I'm writing about it, I have this, oh, shit. You know, I've got like 15 minutes now to write something and I don't know what's going to happen and I just feel a bit blank. But I forgot about my deadline and I caught myself. I was actually on my feet for the last two minutes of that fight, which is not like me at all. But I looked around and all the journalists were on their feet. The whole of the garden was standing on their feet as these two women went at it for the last two minutes. It was just so moving. And I said that to Katie afterwards, you know, when she won a split decision. And then she came out to, to meet the, the media. And one of the things I said to her um, was that I actually found it immensely moving to, to watch her and Amanda, the way they'd fought. And, and I, I didn't mean that in a sentimental way. It was just the facts. And I think she, she acknowledged that because I think it had been a moving night for her, for Amanda Serrano, and for all of boxing, not just women's boxing. And why it was special, Kieran, is I think in the past we would have said, oh, what a momentous night for women's boxing. But that was actually a momentous night for boxing because boxing has been so bad for so long in, over the last few years. And this was one of the fights. And there have been others. It's not just Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. But this was a fight that actually just elevated boxing. And for me, that's why it was so special. We started with Muhammad Ali. We're going to go back to Muhammad Ali. It's hard not to think back to the way things ended up for the greatest. Even before the slow slide into Parkinson's disease in retirement, his last days in the ring were grim. There was even an element of farce as the last sound Ali heard as a professional boxer was a cowbell. Ali's final fight was against Trevor Berbick, a journeyman, in the Bahamas on December 11th, 1981. It was a pantomime of a promotion. To save money, gloves were unlaced rather than cut off hands so that other fighters could use them. The bill was nearly three hours behind schedule by the time Ali and Berbick stepped into the ring. But somehow the organisers hadn't even remembered to get a proper bell to sound the beginning and end of rounds. A cowbell was procured from somewhere and it signalled the end for Ali after ten plodding rounds 
with victory going to Berbick. That's how it ended for the greatest. That's how it ends for so many greats. Most sports people, even the icons, depart the stage with a whimper rather than a bang. Sonia O'Sullivan's last Olympics saw her lapped in the 5,000 metres final at Athens in 2004. Roy Keane's career fizzled out at Celtic and he's often admitted since that moving there was a mistake. Katie Taylor has earned the right to be talked of in the same company as O'Sullivan and Keane. There's a memory from the London 2012 Olympics that's still hard to shake off. After that fight in the press conference, her father and coach Pete said he wanted Katie to retire. She wasn't having any of it. But with boxing, getting out unscathed is often a challenge. Here's Andy Lee. It's very hard. You, you only know yourself when it's time to hang, hang up the gloves. And I don't think anyone could tell a fighter when they should retire. Maybe Katie's best days are behind her, but what she has now is still good enough to be the best. From a personal point of view, I don't see why she needs to fight on anymore. From from my point of view, I think she's achieved everything she has. And if she was to retire tomorrow, without even her own comment, she'd have done more for female sport and female boxing and um, Irish sport than, than, than anyone in history. So if she was to retire, I'd, I'd be very happy for her. But it, it has to be inside her. And I think she has still has the fire, and I'm not sure when or if she will retire. You know, it's for speaking to her. She has no no intention to retire anytime soon. Thomas Hauser has spent the guts of fifty years writing on boxing. He couldn't have spent that long immersed in the sport without having a deeply rooted fondness for fighters. But like many who spend time around boxers. He can see the argument for them being their own worst enemies, staying on a year too long, a fight too far. Hauser has a lot of respect for Katie Taylor, but he'd be quite happy to hear that she was hanging up her gloves. That's the way when you're part of the most dangerous game of all. Some of boxing's greatest fighters and best ambassadors for the sport become cautionary tales at the end of their career. Uh, Katie's legacy has now been written. Uh, If she keeps fighting, she's gonna make more money, but uh, my sense is that Katie is not motivated by money. Uh, Her her family and her faith are largely what guide her. More fights aren't going to enhance her place in history. That's already been written. There's only one thing left for Katie to learn the hard way in boxing, and that's losing. And there's also the issue of uh, cognitive damage. You know, women get hit in the head just like the men do. The women don't hit as hard as the men, but Katie has been hit in the head a lot of times. And I think it would be tragic if down the road she started to show cognitive deficits from her time in boxing. Now, I have no inside medical information. I'm not in a position to say that that, you know, will happen. But again, getting hit in the head isn't good for you. If it was each time you went to the doctor for your annual physical, he'd whack you in the head with a pallet. 
So I would prefer that she not fight. I would like Katie to say, you know, uh, that's it. I've had a great career. I'm finishing undefeated as a shining symbol. And then, you know, the same way young fighters now look back and say, you know, I would have loved to have fought Sugar Ray Leonard or I would have loved to have fought Roberto Duran. You know, 10, 20 years from now, women fighters can play the mind game and say, well, I would have loved to have fought Katie Taylor. None of that is is, is criticism of Katie. It, it, it's rather, it, it, it's, it comes from a place of admiration. She has maximized her potential. She's not getting any better. I'd like to see her retire now and become a, a great boxing feel-good story. Fight week before the date with Cameron will be like so many others since Katie Taylor turned pro. Again and again, she'll bring up the same word. Legacy. Nothing makes her more animated than being told of girls and young women taking up boxing because of her. She knows this isn't just her legacy. It's the legacy of many others, too. In Ireland, it's the legacy of the two Deirdres, Gogarty and Nelson in particular. But all those who've gone before are a no doubt. Katie Taylor was the ultimate game changer. And to Nelson, she's a feminist icon. Even if Taylor doesn't want to embrace that tag. I would say that I am a feminist, but I don't. Feminism has got a bit of a dirty, dirty word to it now, but it's not. I mean, feminism believes in equality for all, regardless of gender. You know, at the end of the day, that, that's what the backbone of feminism is. I suppose at the end of the day, I can't speak for Katie and, and, and why she feels that way. Maybe she didn't want to be labelled and forever that was forever brought up. But for me, I, I'm, I'm proud to say that I am. But I've always been interested in equal opportunities, equality for everybody. I believe at the end of the day, people should be able to get their own, own talent, should be given an equal shot no matter who you are. And it's it's highly unfair that people put barriers, unnecessary barriers in front of people. And, I, you know, how much talent have we lost because of that? You know, at the end of the day, I mean, there was all the barriers put when, when the likes of Nicola Adams and Katie were competing at amateur level. But thankfully, they were able to come through. But say that hadn't it happened, you know, you would have lost, especially with Katie, you would have lost that tremendous talent and... I would say Ireland's greatest ever sports person. The Untouchable was presented by Kieran Cunningham and produced by Kieran Bradley. <laughs>